brother mm. to divide the family inheritance with him. You know, and kind of want to use Jesus, I guess, to be an arbiter in this inheritance dispute. Jesus responds with a question, who made me your judge? And then with a warning about greed. And then with a parable about that rich fool. And now with a sermon. That's a lot of response to a simple request. I think because Jesus is using this as an opportunity to really teach seriously on riches and uh, the danger that riches are to us in various ways. Uh, so if Jesus uh, responds with a question of warning, a parable, and a sermon, you know this must be uh, pretty serious stuff. So let's read the sermon and we'll think about what he says here. 22 to 34. And he said to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, they have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds. And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life span? If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, not even Solomon, in all his glory, clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass in the fields, which is alive today and tomorrow, is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you? You have a little faith. And do not seek what you... And do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink, and do not keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. But your Father knows that you need these things. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has chosen chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys for where your treasure is there your heart will be also so Jesus tells us not to worry about material things Uh, that's his first point I guess you'd say in the sermon and he gives reasons not to worry what are some of those reasons those ravens He takes care of the ravens, and uh, they're well-fed. Who's worth more to God, ravens or man? Yeah. What else? What are some other reasons not to worry? There's more to life than food and clothing. Okay, which is? What is is more important than food and clothing in this passage? The kingdom. Well, that's true. About life and body. And that is point. God already gave us our life and our body. That's a lot more important than the food to, you know, extend our life and the clothes put on our body. If he gave us the bigger gifts, can't we trust him for the smallest? Surely he wouldn't give us life and body and then not give us the food to sustain it or the clothes to put on it. So it's like, well, you know, he's already done so much. Can't we trust him for the rest of it? Uh, really, what he's got left to give us is relatively minor. What else? Why else should we not worry about material things? Then there are flowers. Yeah, the flowers, God takes care of them. 
and obviously we're worth more than they are. I mean, they don't worry about anything, and yet they're uh, made beautiful by God. Why else? He gives all kinds of reasons here. It doesn't do any good. Yeah, it won't help any. You can't add a single centimeter to your height or five minutes to your lifespan by worrying, right? You're going to worry yourself a day older or an inch taller? You know, nothing that really matters can you gain by worrying. So it's not going to help you. Trust the Lord. And then he kind of nails it down in verse 31 when he says, uh, seek his kingdom and all these things will be added to you. If you'll really focus on him and, and, and his rule and, and seek to promote God's interest, he'll take care of you. So it's, it's kind of pointless. Yeah. If, if we're getting taken care of by the Lord because we're seeking him, then, then worry is really kind of shows a lack of trust in him. In fact, isn't that the point he makes when he says, uh, you know, that the Gentiles, what the Gentiles do? <laughs> Uh, you know, the nations of the world, in verse 30, they eagerly seek after these things. But why Why would the nations of the world worry about these things? Because they don't have the comfort that serving God brings. Exactly. They don't have a Heavenly Father taking care of them, at least that they acknowledge and believe in and trust in and so forth. So clearly they're going to worry, but you have. You know, a close relationship with God. You know he loves you and takes care of you and you can trust him. So, you can understand why the pagans worry. Why do you? (laughs) You know, it doesn't make sense. It really shows a lack of faith in God. You know, we get fretful about things that really we should turn over to the Lord and let him take care of. When we worry about these things, what does it really show about us? I think that's it. We don't trust. We don't think God can. We don't think he will. You know, we think it depends on us and we feel inadequate, which we are, but it doesn't depend on us. So, um, that's his first point, really, is is not to worry. He really (laughs) emphasizes in verse 31 and 32 the importance of seeking his kingdom, and he'll give us the rest of the things. You know, we, we kind of get our, th- our our perspective out of whack. We're focused on the wrong thing. You know, look at the Lord. Trust in Him. Seek His interests. Be more heavenly minded, and He'll take care of things. So, our, our, we got we've got to to pursue the right things. We've got to you know really be be diligent for His kingdom. Not for our physical, financial well-being. <coughs> and then look at verse 33. What does he tell us to do? Sell your possessions and give to charity. Wow. I know he told the rich young ruler that, but I didn't know we were supposed to do that too. That's pretty. Uh, it's a pretty strong statement. And really indicates that instead of pursuing and seeking and worrying about our financial status, we need to be liquidating and giving. Now, I don't think that says every dime we make, we've got to give. In fact, we couldn't provide for our families and other responsibilities if we did that. But how much of what we have is ours? Really none. And so we ought to consider it all the Lord's. And we ought to be investing <coughs> in heavenly treasure instead of being so worried about our own nest egg. Um, it's hard. 
I think material possessions mean too much to us so much of the time. And they just come to kind of control our thinking. And, you know, we don't want to sell. We want to buy. We want to accumulate. We want to stock up. Uh, and, and really, the the spirit of a Christian is he wants to he wants to give he wants to use for the Lord, and and really, there's something more to this than just like a financial balance sheet kind of a thing. He says, "For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also." Whatever you invest your time and energy and money in, your heart's going to be there too. You know, you can't put all your effort into getting ahead in life. We talk about. And, and not have your heart involved. What you pursue, that's where your heart will be. You'll get attached to those things. They'll mean a lot more to you. You know, I mean, that's always true. Whatever you really give a lot of attention to becomes important to you. And it's where your heart is. So the more focus we have on these material things, or on anything, the more we focus on it, the more our heart becomes attached to whatever it is we're really, you know, emphasizing in our life. So if it's material things, then we're going to have a heart that's shallow. <laughs> it's going to be saw, just focused on, on this world. Thoughts and comments through 34. In verse 26, it says, If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Is he kind of implying that adding an hour to your life is a very little thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Which so. most of us would go, uh, we can't do that. But God's saying, no big deal. Well, yeah, but we can't. But it's just an hour. How long, how long have you lived so far? Uh, a few more, several hours, haven't you? A few, yeah. Yeah. You can't even add one. You can't even do that. <coughs> so what do you think? I mean, it's like, if you can't even do something like that, how? why would you be worried about, you know, making, you know, thousands of dollars and doing all this kind of stuff? Uh can't even do the simple thing. You know, from the Lord's standpoint, he out of an hour would be sure. You know, he could do that easily. Do you see this kind of like the Proverbs in the sense that this is like a general truth about how like these things will be provided and everything? Like I assume at some point there's been a Christian that starved to death or something, you know, and like I don't know how you answer that like in light of this. Well, you know, I don't know about Christian starving to death. There may have been. Um, you know, Paul said he'd known how to have plenty and how to be in want. So right. evidently there have been times when he hadn't had all he wanted. Um, I think that God does take care of us. It doesn't mean we never die. And it doesn't mean he never chastens us or takes take something away that he thinks is good for us. But he'll take care of us. He'll he'll provide what's best for us. And so there may be a time that starving to death would be a good thing for us. You know, or not having everything we want would be a good thing for us. Um, but but he'll take care of us. I do think, I think it's an absolute commitment to do that, though it may not always look like what I wanted. But it appears, I mean, when you read it, it appears <coughs> seeking what you will eat and what you will drink. Right. Well, don't do that because these things will be added to you. Mm-hmm. <coughs> but that's not always true. <laughs> I mean, it has been for me. Maybe there never has been a Christian starving to death. Like I don't know any. 
You know, I don't know that this is guaranteeing that a Christian couldn't starve to death, or at least that a Christian couldn't lack something in the realm of material things. Um, because, I, I mean, sometimes you see people in the faithful Christians of the Bible uh, that that were going through difficulties. And we're not saying this is going to be a rose garden at all. I mean, certainly the Bible's talking about persecution and suffering all all around. But but God will take care of us in those things. <coughs> we may get thrown in the lion's den, but God will be with us in the lion's den. Now, could we get killed in the lion's den? Yes, we could. It's not saying the Christian will live forever and never have anything bad happen to him. But God will provide and take care of us in those things. So it may not be exactly what I wanted or I thought was best, but God will provide what he sees as best. So I see this as you know, not just saying there's a certain amount of food every Christian will get, but that God will take care of our needs in the way he sees fit and the way that's best for us. Which solemn is it or is it a joke? I am... I was young and now I'm old, but I've never seen uh, the righteous. Yeah, right. Psalm 3725, I think. <laughs> yeah, I, 3725. I've been young and now I'm old, yet I've not seen the righteous forsaken or his descendants begging bread. Which, again, I don't think means there's never been a Christian beggar. Uh, you know, Lazarus, though that was a parable, I think was uh, presented the parable as a righteous man who was begging at the rich man's gate. Uh, <coughs> but but I do think, you know, if there are moments where the Lord wants us to go through difficulties, it's not like he couldn't handle it. And so, you know, he just kind of whipped out on the promise. No, he knows what's best. I mean, I think that's really true. If If he sees that it's best for us to go through whatever, then that'll be a blessing to us and not a curse. Other thoughts? Well, it's difficult for me to know how to um, kind of uh, structure, I guess, uh, some of these chapters. Uh, The Lord deals with some important points, some important moments. He talks about the time when he's going to return uh, here, and that's obviously a critical moment. He's got quite a few things to say about it. So, uh, let's start with 35 to 40. Let your waists be girded and your lamps burning, and you yourselves will be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. And if he should come in in the second watch, or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour which you do not expect. Okay, so we're to uh, be dressed and ready. You know, have our lamps lit and our clothes on and be ready to go. Now, that, I think, was not intended to be taken literally. I think it's probably okay to be in our pajamas when we're asleep or whatever. But spiritually, we need to always be ready. You know, um, so detached from earthly mm, 
you know, attachments, uh, you know, and, and really focused on the Lord, really living right, uh, so that whenever he comes, uh, they were ready to open up to him and let him in. Uh, now, if we are prepared, we're, we're all ready uh, for him to come, then what's he going to do for us? He's going to serve us. He's going to serve <laughs> us. That is not the role I would have expected. Jesus comes back and seats us at the table, and he's the, uh, uh, you know, uh, waiter. He's the, the, the server, I guess we'd say in, in uh, modern lingo. Uh, that's, that's quite a reversal of roles. Uh, but that's the blessing we have. This great heavenly banquet with the Lord providing, serving for us, serving us. Uh, what a blessing. Uh, whatever hour he comes, you know, um, if we need to be, be ready. Now, he uses the thief as an illustration. Robbers don't book appointments to burglarize. They don't usually send warning postcards ahead of time, right? Uh, so when will Jesus return? When we expect him the least is when we should expect him the most. (laughs) You know, uh, totally unexpected, unknown time. So always be ready. You know, I I suppose it's, it's hard to get up for that maybe uh, since uh, we're in the year, what, 2017 and uh, it's been a while. Uh, but he will come back. And, I mean, we don't know. it. I mean, there's nothing that I know of in the Bible that keeps him com- coming back in our lifetime, you know, today. And, you know, the truth is we could die at any moment. But, you know, I'm young and healthy. Well, I'm healthy. And, uh, you know, uh, I think nothing's going to happen to me. That's, re- that's really an error. But I think we tend to think that. Well, you know, I feel like I'm in good shape and, you know, I do all that. But you can't be in good shape and keep the Lord from returning. It has nothing to do with what shape you're in or how healthy you are or how you feel or how careful you are or whatever. When he comes back, it's just totally at an unexpected moment. There's no way to plan or prepare for that. So I think that helps keep us, keep us honest. You know, maybe maybe when we're feeling like, well, I think I'm healthy enough, I'll last a little while. You know, I can kind of coast. Well, just when you thought he wasn't coming, he may show up. So we always need to be ready for him. Thoughts and comments? All right, how about 41 to 48? <coughs> Wait, I just had a question. All right. I, I was going to ask it before and I forgot. So is this still part of that sermon? Is it still connected to... I don't know that it is. Okay. Uh, but it might be. I mean, you just don't really don't know. It's certainly a different topic. Okay. So I've kind of disconnected it, but I don't know. 41 to 48. Peter said, Lord, are you addressing this parable to us or to everyone else as well? And the Lord said, Who then is faithful and sensible steward, whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their rations at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, that he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But if that slave says in his heart, my master will be a long time in coming, and begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that slave will come on the day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. Uh, 48. 
And that slave who knew his master's will and did not get ready or act in accord with his will will receive many lashes. But the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of flogging will receive but a few. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And to whom they entrusted much of him, they will ask all the money. So Peter wants to know, does this apply to us too? And Jesus talks about several different uh, categories. He talks about the faithful and sensible steward who, and, and, and he's going to, uh, be promoted when the Lord returns and put in charge of the servants. So what makes him a faithful and sensible steward? Gives the servants their rations at the proper time. Yeah, he's, he's diligent and faithful. He's uh, doing what he's supposed to be doing when the master returns. You know, so, you know, he's like a pastor feeding the sheep. You know, uh, he's, he's taking care of his responsibilities. He's being faithful to the Lord at the time the Lord returns. And he'll be promoted. He'll be put in charge of all his possessions. So, you know, he's been temporarily in charge of some things. Now he'll be permanently in charge of many things. On the other hand, what if the slave thinks, ah, my master won't come back for a long time, what, and, and starts doing what? Yeah, beating up the fellow slaves and getting drunk and partying. and So he's abusing his position, he's acting self-indulgently, he's doing what he thinks, because he says, oh, I know he won't be back for a long time, I can live it up and do what I want to. <coughs> you know, he doesn't sense a responsibility to really be prepared for the master. And then the master's going to come at an unexpected time, and what's he going to do with this guy? Yeah, probably not something you want the Lord to do to you. Uh, sounds pretty bad. So he says, you've got those who are consciously disobedient. They know the master's will, and they don't get ready or do it. And they receive many lashes. There are those who are disobedient in ignorance. They didn't know, and therefore they did things that were wrong. They'll re- receive few lashes. Uh... God expects more from the one he gives more. The more you know, the more you are prepared, the more he expects out of you. And so the punishment will be greater the more you know and just defied and, and were rebellious. You know, we know a lot. We've been real, really blessed with the knowledge of God. If we're not faithful, the punishment will be more severe because God has every right to expect more out of us. We understand more. We've been blessed more. Okay, questions or comments? Why would Peter think he wasn't addressing it to them? I was going to say, what was the answer to Peter's question? Well, I think yes. I mean, you know, he says, whatever category you fit in, are you a faithful and wise servant? Are you a slave that's irresponsible? Either way, if the shoe fits, wear it. So, yeah, I think I think he is implying that, yeah, this, this is really for everybody. Everybody's in this uh, story. Right, but why would Peter think he wasn't? Well, you know, don't there people kind of think, well, it doesn't apply to me because I'm close to Jesus and he'll, I'm kind of, you know, I'll be okay. You know, I mean, should the disciples take warnings seriously? Like, I mean, could they be lost? I mean, could they ever fall away? Could anything ever happen to them? They're the disciples. Well, or, look at Jesus. Or is it <coughs> around in that 
that he knows it applies to them, and he's trying to see if it applies to other people as well. He knows that it applies to him as a close servant of the Lord entrusted with stuff, maybe. Well, although that's looking backwards, so... Whichever way, it does apply to everybody. Uh, I've sort of interpreted that he thought it, we wanted it to apply to him too, but it could be saying it does apply to other people too. But either way, it applies to everybody. We're taking this to be Jesus' second coming. I take it to be that. Um, Most people don't teach that there are different levels of punishment after... uh, Jesus' second coming? Is that what this is implying? I think it is. Okay, that's not something that I've ever been taught, but I have seen it in the Bible a couple of times. <laughs> I think that's good enough. <laughs> it, it, it works for me. Yeah, and not everybody teaches that, but people who've seen it in the Bible do. <laughs> there may not be nine circles of hell or whatever it was that Dante did, but... Yeah, I think there are degrees of punishment in the sense that those who have a greater responsibility because of having greater gifts, greater knowledge, whatever, God has greater expectations and the punishment will be more severe. I don't think there's some kind of a cool spot in hell where it's not so bad. Um, Being banished from God is being banished from God, but it looks to me like the punishment is more severe for those that God had the right to expect more out of. We shouldn't see this as an excuse not to learn. I mean, I don't, I don't want God to expect so much from me, so I'm just going to remain willfully ignorant of the details. And My guess is that if we had the opportunity to know and we just refused to, we're kind of in the same situation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure there's a loophole on that one. <laughs> I didn't think so. But yeah. Yeah. It's really the opportunities we have. And, you know... The, the, the Lord gives much to us. Whatever we do with it, you know, if he's given much, then we're responsible uh, for that. And, you know, the Lord's a fair judge in that. I mean, it's right to expect more out of those that he gets more to. Other thoughts, comments, questions? All right. Uh, how about uh, 49 to 53? I have come to cast fire upon the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. Do you suppose that I came to grant peace on earth? I tell you no, rather division. But from now on, five members in one household will be divided, three against two, and two against three. It will be divided father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Okay. Well, this is challenging. Jesus said, I've come to cast fire upon the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. And then uh, I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it's accomplished. So, what's the fire, what's the baptism? Fire sounds like judgment to me. Yeah. But then I've been reading Amos, you know. Yeah, there's a lot of fire in Amos in there. Yeah, that's right. Fire was his uh, weapon of choice in Amos. Um, Yeah, I think so. Maybe the fire of suffering or just a terrible conflagration in the world 
Baptism, I think the suffering is going to undergo. You think about it this way. Do we ever suffer in our dread of something before the something ever even happens? You ever been in a situation where the dread was worse than the something? <laughs> you know, for us in this life, a lot of times it is. A lot of times I've suffered more with dreading something when I just bite the bullet and do it. It wasn't as bad as I was dreading. Now, I don't think that's true with Jesus' suffering. But I do think that the prospect of his sufferings were like at a perpetual Gethsemane to it. You know, he was, he was suffering. I think as he got closer, he suffered more. There was a lot of dread. And he was just distressed until it's accomplished. So the same word is used when he said it's finished. You know, he, he was ready for it to be done. Whoa. It had that hanging over him. That must have been a stressful thing. I mean, how would you like to know you're going to be crucified for the sins of the world, you know, in a few months or a couple of years or whatever? Wow. Um, and, and, and in general, Jesus' presence, Jesus' teaching, really puts a lot of fire on the earth. He said, you thought I came to get peace? <laughs> I'm the divider. You know, I mean, that's not what his desire was, but that's the effect of his coming. Because when Jesus comes and brings the gospel, his presence causes division. People are either for him or against him. And and they're either blessed or punished. And he even describes a family where there's division. Now, how many people are in this family? Five. Does it look like there's just five? (laughs) Who are the five? Father, mother, son, daughter, that's it. Those are the five. And so I think, yes, uh, it is, uh, that's what you've got. And, uh, so this is, uh, this is a message that's so divisive it penetrates right through the family. <coughs> you know, husband, wife, son, daughter, daughter-in-law. I mean, that's pretty, pretty close family. And yet, I mean, the gospel sets people against each other. It's a divider. It's, uh, you know, I mean, if, if what we're looking for is a comfortable, pleasant life where everybody likes us and we like everybody and everything's just always nice, we probably don't want to be a Christian because that's not the way it is. And if we want really nice, pleasant, wonderful families where everybody always loves each other and everybody's always nice to each other and nobody ever steps on anybody's toes, we probably don't want the gospel because it, it, it tears up families a lot of times. Um, so don't be shocked when that happens. Thoughts and comments? I think people see Jesus as the Prince of Peace and envision this as like Jesus, you know, just improving the world, like, you know, our society and stuff like that. Like, you know, some sort of a a social work or Mm -hmm. something like that. Um, Yeah. Trying to make the world into something other than the world. Um, But that's... That's not the kind of peace that he brings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah. You have a question, Joshua? Joshua. It's like there's six. Oh, you're trying to count them? <laughs> well, let's count them. Father, son, son, father, mother, daughter, there's four, daughter, mother, 
mother-in-law and daughter-in-law. See, the mother-in-law would be the mother of the son, mother-in-law to the son's wife, who's the daughter-in-law. <laughs> oh! <laughs> Wait, so the daughter and the daughter-in-law are the same thing? No. The mother-in-law are the same person. So you have a man and his wife, their It's complicated, and doesn't it? Their son and his wife. So it would be Debbie and Chris and... They don't have a son. No. We, don't, we can't do it. That that's that's <laughs> so it would be Ariel and Ryan and Mindy. Mindy, yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Does that make any more sense? I think so. Yeah, we'll have to figure out some family that this works for, mm-hmm. and we'll tell you. I don't. We don't well, hardly have any families like that. At at, at uh, <clears throat> do we have any couples at uh, Barbersville whose married children are in the congregation? Skip and Linda, but Skip and Linda don't have a daughter. Do we have any other couples where their kids are in the congregation? They're married kids. We ought to, but I'm not sure we do. <laughs> I can't think of anybody. Can you? Well. Okay, yeah, Thomas Ray and Lisa. Do you know Thomas Ray and Lisa? You don't know who they are. <laughs> okay, well, anyhow, it's fine. Okay. <laughs> it's hard. Yeah, it, but it, and that's why I asked that question, because it does look like they're six until you actually start analyzing it. He said they were so five. So, which three are on the same side? I don't know. Well, well it would seem was... from it, the father and mother on the same side, and the son, daughter, and daughter-in-law on the same because the way that the yeah, probably so. I had never. I was like, but where are really five from? Why does it have to be five? Because it connects to the other verse. I just uh, figured it was an arbitrary group of five. Yeah, and I thought the two and three and three and two was sort of arbitrary as well. Yeah, I maybe, uh, <laughs> but yeah, maybe maybe we can figure that out. I'm not sure we can though. I'm not sure that there's a way to come up with exact division. Could it be the father, the daughter? And the daughter-in-law. Why would the daughter-in-law? No, I think the father and mother are against everybody else. Yeah. Okay. Maybe Just so. because, like, the father, father, son, mother, daughter, mother-in-law, daughter-in-law. <coughs> Just the the first I'd have to diagram this and uh, <laughs> try various uh, possibilities. <laughs> that, that was farther than I intended to go. That <laughs> really prepared for that. <laughs> Or it could be a matter of the alliances are always shifting and changing, too. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. I'm sure there's a game show or a reality show where that's happening somewhere. There's got to be some Venn diagram or something we can put with this. So. I, I, I knew I should learn those when I was in algebra or whatever I was in. All right. Well, anything else I don't know the answer to? Probably is. 54 to 59. Then he also said to the multitudes, Whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately you say a shower is coming, and it is so. And when you see the south wind blow, you say, There will be hot weather, and there is. Hypocrites. You can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it that you do not discern the time? Yes. And why, even of yourselves, do you not judge what is right? When you go with your adversary to the magistrate, make every effort along the way to settle with him lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge deliver you to the officer, and the officer throw you in prison. I tell you, 
you shall not depart from there till you have paid the very last mite. Okay, so he says, you guys know a lot about the weather, but you don't seem to have any spiritual discernment. You know, when you see the cloud rising in the west, you say the shower is coming, that's the way it is, and you see a south wind blowing, you say it's going to be a hot day, and that's the way it is. You know all about that, but you can't analyze, you know, what God's doing. You, you know, people know a lot about just everyday life stuff and nothing about the Lord and His will. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they're not smart enough. It's not like they don't have the ability to analyze and figure things out. We can be intelligent about worldly things and totally ignorant about spiritual things, and that is a problem. You know, if we were just, you know, mentally handicapped, you know, maybe when we have an excuse, but we are obviously capable. We just haven't tried to apply ourselves to the things that matter. So it's not inability, it's unwillingness to learn. Um, you know, you ever hear anybody who says, oh, I just can't learn the Bible. I, I can't remember anything. I just can't remember. Well, some of those same people have all sorts of sports statistics memorized and numbers and records and all kinds of things like that because they're really interested in that. Or some of those same people, you know, can do all kinds of cooking projects and craft projects and things like that and know all details and remember all kinds of stuff. Or maybe it's computers and video games that they know all the levels of and all the various characters and, you know... For most people, they can learn. They do some things. Uh, I've just had a really cool experience. I'll camouflage this a little bit, but but a, a guy who is uh, you know uh, retired, but but a good guy, but doesn't <coughs> didn't necessarily have a lot of Bible knowledge, and uh, you know really has felt all along we didn't really have much education things like that. And really felt like, you know, I just can't learn. You know, I'm just not a good reader. I don't understand things well. But but we've been working on a challenge for a while. And, uh, wow, it's incredible. We're in a difficult book at the moment. And I uh, just had a study the other day. It's like, he not only did he remember and know everything that was in the chapters we looked at, he knew what it meant, and it wasn't easy stuff. But he read it so much, he just, he had it flowing out of him. It's like... <coughs> this idea that, well, I just can't do this. Yeah, we can't. You know, are some people better readers than others? Absolutely. You know, are some people have a better memory than others? Absolutely. But almost everybody can learn. And we sure we can. Because we do about other things. Jesus said, you know, the weather, you can't figure out what's going on here. That I didn't cut it. And then he says... Uh, when you're going with your opponent to appear before the magistrate, you'd better, better settle out of court. <laughs> uh, because if you get drugged to the judge and he turns you over to the officer and the officer throws you in prison, you won't get out until you pay the last, last cent. And, uh, well, in most prisons, anymore it's not true, but back then you didn't get paid in prison, so you're not likely to ever get out if you have to pay the last cent and you don't have a way to make any money. I think the point is, the Lord is the opponent, and you'd better settle with him before you go before the judge. If you haven't settled with the Lord before you get up there, it's a little late. You'll be thrown in prison, and you won't ever get right. You won't ever pay, get to pay your way out. So, settle with the Lord now. <laughs> you know, make sure everything's good with him, uh, because once you go to the judge, it's way too late.
Thoughts and comments. So what's the hypocritical part? Well, I think that they act like they don't have the ability to understand spiritual things, uh, or they they don't understand when they have so much ability in other areas. So it just you know they 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 really are much more capable and talented in understanding spiritual things than what it looks like. So they kind of kind of have an act of spiritual incompetence, but it's really not incompetence, it's just disinterest. So what, is there anything he's referring to specifically, like what he has said before, or why do you not analyze his present time? Well, I've assumed he really meant that I'm the Messiah and the time's now to go right with God, but really you could apply it to almost anything spiritually that they were not properly analyzing but my guess is, you know, should have seen from the prophecies and the promises and their fulfillments that this is the time of the Messiah and it's the time to repent and receive the kingdom. Or that judging what is right, and they, were, they were opposed to him. They should have. They should have been able to judge that correctly. Correct. Exactly. They should have had enough understanding, discernment to properly analyze, just like they judged the weather. They 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 figured it out. Maybe we need some of their meteorologists around here, but but they figured that out. You know, they ought to be able to figure out the presence of the Lord. The signs of his being there, his coming, and so forth. So, it seems to me like this section deals with various traumas, crises, you know, the Lord's coming, the baptism of the fire, the division you know, reconciling with your opponent. And now we're going to find out about some recent deaths and Jesus' opinion about the them. So, chapter 13, verses 1 to 9. Now, in the same...